when you first got to the varsity football team at Urban High School in El Paso, who was that first person to kick your butt and welcome you to the varsity level of football? <laughs> uh, well, it actually had to have been a, actually a, a good friend of ours, his older brother's a, a family friend and a coach here in Texas. Uh, his name was Mike Holloway. And uh, he was our he was our quick side defensive end. Uh-huh. And uh, even though I wasn't on varsity, it was my sophomore year. Um, I was a JV tight end. And uh, the way our coaches structured everything, our JV was constantly going against the varsity. Just, you know, they were always trying to get us ready. Um, yep. And uh, we were actually getting ready for our first game of the year. We were playing Odessa Permian. Wow. And Mike was... He was about 6'3", 210, uh, had a wicked first step. Um, <laughs> and it was one of those where he knew the play was going away from us, and he really didn't feel like running down down the hill line and making the play and all that. So we line up, and he tells me, and he goes, hey, I know the play's going away, so I'm going to make you look good. He's like, <laughs> Just come out. We'll lock up. We'll make it look good. And and then we'll just go on. I was like, all right, cool. So we do that. And our head coach and defensive coordinator just had a shit fit. Oh, they could not believe. They couldn't believe this little sophomore tight end was blocking the best defensive end in the city. So they made us run it again and they're cussing him out. And so we line up again and, you know, he he really didn't like people cussing him out much. So. So he came up and we get in our stance and he was like, Hey, sorry, man, but you're not going to touch me on this one. <laughs> and the ball snapped. He, I, I couldn't even tell you what, what move he gave me, but I stepped towards him and shot my hands and he was gone. Yeah. He, he got around, dipped, rip, shot through two yard loss. And at, at that moment, I knew it was one of those where, yeah, I got a lot to learn. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, and sharing them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, and sharing them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough. I'm just fine, I'm good enough. But you be told I need some therapy. Initially, ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy. All right, welcome to another brand new episode of the Team Player Podcast. This is episode number 59. I got a very special guest today. This is a guy that I've never actually had the pleasure of working directly with, but I've, I've just known him. He's in the same coaching circles. He's worked with a lot of guys that I really respect, including the current head football coach at, at uh, my, my beloved Aldean Mustang, Cyril Ojeda. They worked together at Sharpstown High School. They they were a part of that dramatic turnaround uh, there at Sharpstown. Well, I guess that was two two years ago. And now Coach Torres has come has, uh, continued on the legacy that they started together. He is now the head football coach at Sharpstown High School. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show Matt Torres. Ah, uh, thank you. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. 
Yes, sir. And if you, if you guys are enjoying these episodes, if you're part of the team player revolution, make sure you take the five seconds to wherever you're listening. Just hit that five star rating. That helps us so much. We did. We broke the 50 uh, review mark on Spotify. and We've got quite a few on Apple podcasts as well. So that's great. The more ratings we have, the more times our show will come up for fans uh, searching for sports podcasts. Uh, you can leave a written review. I'll read those live on the show. And then you can hit the follow button to subscribe and get a new episode in your queue every Sunday. We'd be honored if the team player podcast made it into your rotation. I'm your host, James Kobleski. Please follow me on Twitter at coach underscore Kovo. That's coach underscore K-O-V-O. All right, coach. So let's let's talk about your, your early life, man. So you're 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 a Texan, but we all know how yes. big Texas is. You know, <laughs> the part of Texas you're from, I could drive to several other states <laughs> faster than I could get get to this, but you are from the city of El Paso, right. Texas. Talk about what it was like. I've, I've been to El Paso once for a wedding, and I, I thought it was lovely, man. Really enjoyed it. But just, you know, for some of our listeners that are maybe mostly Houston-based, what, what is El Paso like? Uh, you know what? It, it's very different from being out here in Houston um, and the rest of this, you know, South Texas, East Texas, Central Texas. Um, when, you know, most people, when they think of Texas, it's, you know, cowboys and horses. And then all of a sudden you get to El Paso and you're just in the middle of a desert. Um, right. Very different. Um, El Paso is a, a big city run like a small town. Mm. Um, it has that small town feel. It, it seems like everywhere you go, you, you know somebody or you run into family. Um, but it's great. You know, I, I love going home and visit. You know, a lot of my family's still there. Um, but it's, you know, it, it, it's a very small, tight-knit community. Um, growing up out in El Paso was great. I love going home to visit. Um, and it's just, you know, like anything, when you talk to people from Texas, you know, every part of Texas is like a different world. Yeah. And it's it's definitely it's definitely different, but it doesn't make it any less special. Absolutely. And then in, in El Paso, you ended up going to high school at Irvin High School. That's on the north side of El Paso. I'd say from what I saw, about 15 minutes north of downtown. <laughs> yep. And yeah. You, you played there for Coach Tony Shaw and you lettered in football, baseball and track. And so you, yes. you're one of those multi-sport athletes. And I want to first touch on that a little bit because I know it's a big, not a buzzword, but a big buzz topic in coaching is most of us, we are very behind multi-sport athletes. We kind of don't like outside influences that pressure kids to play one sport. So I'm assuming you kind of still, you still feel the same way, but can you, can you just elaborate on the importance of your experience as a multi-sport athlete? And then now that you're a coach, what you see for multi-sport athletes? Uh, I think from experience wise, it was more just, you know, the love of getting out and playing. Yeah. Uh, you know, growing up as a small kid, the first sport that, you know, my brothers and I all started playing was baseball. Yeah. You know, my dad and my grandfather were huge baseball enthusiasts. Uh, they were both great players growing up and even into their adult adult lives. So baseball really was um, my brothers and myself, our first true love, you know, when it came to sports. And then from there, we gravitated to basketball and we really didn't start getting into football until middle school and high school. Right. Um, but I think being a, a multi-sport athlete and playing multiple sports allows young people to just develop different aspects of their athleticism and give them different experiences. Um, I don't think many of us at age eight or nine, you know, knew exactly what it is we were going to do. Right. Now, I mean, you get professional athletes that are groomed that way. And, you know, those are, you know, one in a million. Right. But for the 
for the everyday athlete, it's, you know, you never know where your talents are going to take you or what, what's going to develop and what's going to blossom from the different things you do. And, you know, one of the things we tell our kids at Sharpstown is, you know, we want them competing. You know, you can't play football 12 months out of the year. We have our 10 week window in the fall of games. And then if you're blessed to make the playoffs here in Texas, you continue on. But when that's over, you know, we want them playing basketball. You know, we want them getting out there, just continuing to compete. And um, I think for us, that's huge. Um, when basketball is over, you know, I also coach track. And, you know, with them getting out there and just running, getting faster, working on their their footwork. But the biggest thing for us is just, you know, constantly having them compete. We want our kids to constantly be in the mode of competing with other people and trying to get better. But yeah, Coach, you know, you, you mentioned your brothers, and that's, that's something that I've seen some reporting on. I've never had the chance to actually meet them, but from what I understand, you have your two brothers are also high school head football coaches. And so from what I'm – again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that there are yeah. three Torres, head fo- head, Torres brothers head football coaches, and I wonder if that's ever been done. I mean, I'm really curious if you kind of know that the, if, if there are others <laughs> like y'all out there. Um, You know, when last – I guess last February when I got the head job, um, Matt Stepp actually, you know, reported a couple of things. And I think we were actually the third family to have three siblings all become head coaches. And then I want to say later on in that summer, there was another family. So I believe there's four now. Um, I don't know if the ones that were before us are still all head coaches or that's a historical thing. I haven't looked that up, but to my knowledge, um, we were the third out of out of four families to to have three siblings all become head coaches in Texas. And, you know, that's that's something that, you know, I hold near and dear to my heart. You know, my brothers are, you know, we're we're best friends, each other's biggest cheerleaders. And it's you know, it really is a blessing, you know, growing up, growing up with brothers that are we're all close in age and you know, you go through trials and tribulations as young adults and men, and then now we're all in the same profession. Being able to grow like that together is—it's it, been a blessing. Do y'all often communicate? I mean, do 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 they ever like? Do you give them your huddle login? They check out some film, or or how how, how often do you communicate them with, like about specifics about your team? Uh, I mean, we we try to communicate as often as we can, especially during the season. It's hard, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, my oldest brother, Rubens, the the head coach, athletic director in Marlin, which is a, a small community right outside of Waco. And my other brother, my other older brother, Mark, is, you know, the head football campus coordinator at El Paso Pebble Hills. So he's still back home in El Paso. But I mean, but coach, you know how it is yeah. um, when when football season rolls around. It's, yeah. you know, seven days a week. And yes, it is. It, it's a grind early in the morning, late at night. Um, but no, we definitely follow each other. Um, we definitely try to try to talk to each other at least once a week during the season, just to check on each other and see how each other, you know, not just how our teams are doing, but you know, each other, you know, a lot, a lot of times, you know, you get so busy and so caught up in, in wins and losses and game planning and practice preparation that, you know, we really don't take the time to just, and how are you? How's things going? So my brothers definitely do a great job of that. And I know one of the biggest things for me is I want to reach out more. You know, we're we're so far and spread out here in Texas, you know, especially the three of us. 
that. I think that's something I've kind of gotten away from, but something I'm definitely going to work harder at because, you know, they mean the world to me. Yeah, I think that's awesome, Coach. I, my younger brother is a defensive coordinator in Oklahoma, and so now, now that I'm not, you know, as, as involved in the game, I'm always texting him, asking about his team. I watch some of the video, you know, and yeah. and not, I don't like to interject too much of my opinion, but I just every now and then I'll, I'll just say, hey, man, make sure you have the shift on if your defensive line like that. That's a, that's you got to have that, man. Because that was a big thing with me. I mean, I just I feel like every defensive coordinator should just have it because a lot of times it's five free yards, little things like that. You know, we talk about or uh, what covers right. are running. It's it's fun. It's fun. But I kind of know, I know the line of like I'm the, I'm his brother. I, I'm not I'm not a member of his staff. I'm not someone I don't I don't know the team, so I, I don't ever go too far with my advice. But just little things, you know, here and there, and it's it's, it's fun to talk to him. But the next thing yeah. after you after you finish at Irvin, you played football at Sol Ross State, and this is a place I know very well. So I may be one of the few people <laughs> that you know that I, I I've been to Alpine twice in my life, and that's because we played Sol Ross State four times in my college career. So I played uh, Division three football at Austin College, the Kangaroos, and Sherman, Texas. Yeah. And so, yeah, we definitely played the, we may definitely mixed it up with Lobos a couple times. And, uh, yeah, so I said twice, you know, we made the trip out there and for us, it, that was our lone two day trip. And so we, we would drive to Abilene the first day and spend the night and then we'd make the, the rest of the trip. Uh, but you know, Sol Ross state university for people that don't know, I guess I would describe it kind of in the, you know, around like the big bend area, you know, of Texas, mm -hmm. about an hour North of big Bend national park, about three and a half hours Southeast of El Paso. But I loved it out there. I mean, I really, I really enjoy playing out there. So I'm, I'm curious for you, just describe to the listeners, what was it like playing football Sol Ross? Uh, man, it was, you know what, it was fun. Um, I didn't actually go there right out of high school. Um, I took an academic scholarship to a school in San Antonio that didn't have sports. And, mm -hmm. you know, when, when you're in school most of your life and you're used to, you know, no pass, no play, and you're used to going to class and then going to sports and, you know, those just tied in so well together. When, when you're just going to school, living on your own, you know, I kind of got sidetracked <laughs> to say the least. I got a little sidetracked and, um, <laughs> you know, I, I made a change and, you know, Sol Ross had, a had the degree I was looking for and wanted, you know, I knew they had football and track. So, you know, I sent the coaches my high school video and they allowed me to go walk on and try and man, it, it was a blast. Um, it, it's a small town very small town out in the middle of nowhere, but yeah. you know, it's, it's beautiful. You know, it's hidden there in the mountains. Um, but it was, you know, it was, it was an opportunity to play again. And, you know, I, I would say for any athlete, you know, it doesn't matter division one, two, three, NAIA, whatever it is. If, you know, if playing is your passion and that's something you want to do, there's somewhere for you to play. You know, not everybody's blessed with the ability and opportunities to get a Division One scholarship, even though that's what we all want to do. You know, it's it's it, it's hard for that to happen. But, sure. yep. um, you know, going to Sol Ross, um, the class sizes were small. It was a lot of one on one with your teachers. So your professors knew who you were. They knew you. Um, it really was just like going to a, a very big high school. Yeah. And I think that feel actually made it a lot more enjoyable and then of course you know you're playing college football so it was it was a blast um and you know I, I actually met during track season last year talking to a couple of kids from Sterling High School huh? and a couple of them were actually going to go visit Sol Ross and so we started talking about that and and my biggest thing for them was I was like you got to separate 
what you think a city's going to be. I was like, because Alpine is not Houston. Sure, sure. I was like, but if if you go in there with the right mindset and realize that, hey, it's college football, I'm playing with men. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what accolades you have in high school. You're a kid in high school, and now you're going up against 22, 23-year-old men that have been lifting yeah. for five, 10 years longer than you have. And you got to line up with them. Yep. So I think, um, especially at a small school like Sol Ross, that was the biggest thing I saw um, as a player is a lot of kids that were all city, all district, this and that, thinking that they should be playing. I should be starting. I'm better than this guy, that guy, but physically they weren't ready. Yeah. Um, So I think, you know, talking to them and, you know, it seemed like they were listening and they were really engaged in what I was saying. Um, so, you know, I, I haven't had a chance to look to see if they're actually there. Um, but if they are, you know, I hope they're doing well. And I hope, you know, what I, what I told them helped them, but, but no, Alpine was a great place. Yeah. It was a great place. Very typical, stereotypical country, Western Texas town. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, man, no doubt. And, um, a little bit of elevation there, you know, I, I kind of remember kind of like dealing like, you know, we weren't used to that, you know, coming from Sherman. Yeah. So that, that gave you a little home field advantage as well. But, um, you know, and I, I could kind of say that I might've been kind of like that, you know, I was an all district player at a suburban Fort Bend, you know, here in Houston. And so mm-hmm. I kind of came to Austin college, not necessarily. I just thought, I just thought I would, I would instantly instantly make a bigger impact than I did, I guess, you know? And once right. I got there, it definitely, I wasn't on the bench saying like, Oh, I should be playing like some of those guys, but I definitely realized like, Whoa, these players are way better than I was anticipating. And so yeah. I think that that can be a common misconception about D3 football or small school football is I think some people can't, I, I want to ask you this. I'm no longer in the game, but like, I mean, I'm looking at Twitter and I can't tell if it's just the old guys kind of being like old man, get off my lawn kind of complaining or if there's really <laughs> a problem. But like, I do see some, some, some tweets about like D3 coaches not getting their, their texts returned or whatever from some players sometimes, or, or you know, players looking down their nose at, at a D3 offer or a smaller school offer. And so, I'm just curious, do you see that kind of thing? Like, is, is that something that, that, you know, we are dealing with in athletics right now where it's kind of that D one or bust mentality or is some of that stuff a little overblown? Um, I think it depends on where you're at. Sure, um, sure. you know, especially, you know, being at Sharpstown, you know, we don't have a, a ton of, of horses in the stable, a bunch of, you know, D one football players, you know, we have some great kids that work hard and, you know, we've been blessed the last couple of years to actually send a kid here and there to go play some small NAIA D3 football. So I personally haven't, haven't seen that. And then even before I, you know, before we went to Sharpstown, uh, when I was at Humble High School, you know, our starting quarterback who led us to the third round of the playoffs in 6A, you know, he went D3. Yeah. So, um, I think it's hit or miss just based on the kid. Uh, I do hear a lot of that. You do see it a lot, but I've also been around some great kids who, you know what, they were blessed. They felt blessed with the opportunity to continue playing. And I think they knew, you know, I'm, I'm a five, nine, five, 10 quarterback. You know, I'm, right. I'm not going to go to Texas. I'm not going right. to A&M, you know, they're, they want six, two, six, three gunslingers, not five, nine. So, yeah. Um, and that makes sense, coach, because kind of like you're saying, it depends on the fix. I, I imagine maybe like a place where, I don't know, I'm just Summer Creek, North Shore, you know, where a place <laughs> where a bunch of kids are getting power offers, maybe some of their teammates become envious of those offers. And 
I, you know, maybe, maybe that's more of the situation I'm, I'm seeing some coaches, you know, bring it up on Twitter. That totally makes sense. Yeah. And, and I could see that. Um, I, I mean, again, I don't know for sure. Um, but I mean, even in other places I've been, you get some kids like, Oh, I don't want to go there. I'm better than that. And, you know, you, you do the best you can to try to guide them the right way and try to keep them grounded. But there's so many outside voices. And, you know, you as a former head coach know that there's, you know, outside influences that we can't sure. control who sure. who talk to our kids, telling them, you know, oh, if you come with me, I'm going to get you D1. I know this person, that person, this, right. that, and the other. And and kids and even parents buy into it. And, and a lot of times it doesn't work out. You know? Can we talk? Can we? I want to dive into that more, coach. Sure. I, you know, I, I do hope some parents listen to this show too, and not just coaches. That kind of feel, and th- this is a tale as old as time. I remember when I was in high school in two thousand. I graduated two thousand and two. I remember. Mm-hmm. I, I've met teammates years later, still blaming our head coach, saying, "Well, I've literally had this statement told to me that, <laughs> you know, coach was holding scholarships. Like he had, like he has, like a a, a his drawer has like scholarships in him, and he's just not giving them out. Like it's the head coach's fault that we didn't go get D one scholarships." just could not be further from the truth. Like that, that whole idea of like, Oh, the coach isn't push our, our high school coach for some, some reason, which still is unexplained to me why a high school coach would not want their kids to get scholarships. But that's a whole different topic, but you know, I, I that, that has existed as, as long as, as tale as old as time. Right. So I see what you're saying. Sometimes some coaches may t- take advantage of those fears in the minds of parents or players and play on that and say, Hey, come with me. And I, I've got this, I've got this influence. Can you just, dive into that a little bit more. Cause I, I'm super curious about that because I totally agree with you. The cream rises to the top, you know, that the players that the college coaches identify and they want, th- those are the ones that are going to earn those, those spots. Yes. Some coaches do better than others in terms of promotion. I know like guys mm-hmm. like yourself and coach ahead, I mean, are excellent in that department, but can you just talk about that whole dynamic? Cause I'm out of the game right now, but that, that whole dynamic of maybe parents being led astray by kind of outside hanger, I call them hanger ons, you know, or type people, mm-hmm. Can you talk about that aspect of the recruiting even side of, of high school sports? Uh, I think the biggest misconception, especially with parents, is – and it, it may not be a misconception. It may just be they don't know. Um, and, of course, we try to communicate with our parents as often as we can and get all the information we can out to them about the process and what it takes to be eligible for a Division One scholarship. And unfortunately, a lot of them don't realize how big academics are. Sure, sure. Um, one of the one of the first things any any college recruiter that obviously they're going to offer your kid money to go play there. You know, money is in scholarships and education being paid and things like that, not handbags of money. <laughs> um, but you have to be academically eligible, right? Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that a lot of our kids don't understand is roaming the halls skipping class doing this just skating by with 70s and 71s isn't going to get it done yep and and college recruiters and coaches look at those things you know if you have two outstanding athletes you have one scholarship left and let's say a running back you know you you got two six one running backs similar in stature similar in speed size all the things but you got one kid from dallas one kid from houston and kid, and we'll pick it. Let's say the kid from Houston is a 3.8 GPA honor roll 
um, National Honor Society, Dean's List, all those things. He has all the academics to go with his athleticism. Sure. And the other kid who may have had, you know, 150 more rushing yards led his team to a state title. And, you know, there he's from Dallas, but he has a 2.0, 2.5, cause he just skates by and just gets, does enough mm. to get done in the classroom. Well, when you look at those kids, yeah, this one was an all state kid has a state championship, but he doesn't take care of business in the building. And then you have a college coach looking at 2.5 GPA, just skates by 3.9 high academic, high character, well, who are you going to, who do you want to bet your money on? Sure. And we, we try to harp that in, into our parents and our, and our kids that your academics matter. And when a, when a college coach comes into my office or sends me an email about my, you know, my recruiting sheet, um, you know, the biggest thing on there is core GPA and test scores. Right. You know, they've seen the film. The film's easy, especially nowadays with technology. I mean, you have Huddle Online and Max Preps and all these different platforms. And even kids posting a lot of their highlight clips on Twitter and coaches follow them on Twitter. So they know who the kid is on the field. They want to know who the kid is in the building. And, you know, your personal trainer and your seven-on-seven coach outside of our building doesn't know those things. Sure. Sure. We, we, we have that information. Our registrar has that. Our principals know, our counselors know, and our coaches know because we're with them every day. We, we can monitor their grades and look at all their things. And, you know, our, our classroom teachers, if they're having a problem with a kid, aren't reaching out to personal trainers and seven on seven coaches. They're calling us because we have that relationship with those kids and they know, you know, if they send me a message in five minutes, I'll be in that classroom. Right. And I think that's one of the biggest things. And of course, you know, I'm not downplaying personal trainers and seven on seven and all those things. I think they're great. Yep. Um, kids enjoy it. It gives them opportunities to go out and, you know, hear a different voice. You know, they, they get tired of hearing my voice every day and, you know, my coach's voices every day. So, you know, another voice, you know, harping on those same things. You got to work on your power, your speed, your footwork. You know, those, those are all great things and good things. And, of course, seven on seven, you're still going out and competing. So those are all things that we still want. But, unfortunately, we we have a lot of parents nowadays who prefer to listen to those voices right. instead right. of ours. Right. And, you know, it's hard. Um, but all we can do is, you know, let, let them know that we, we do have our, our kids best interests in our hearts, you know, and we tell our kids every day, like, look, we, you guys, like, you're not just athletes, like you're, you're family to us. Like we're, we're with you guys 10 hours a day, you know, more than we see our families, you know, when we wake up in the morning, you know, most of our you know, most of our coaches' families are still asleep. They go to work, come back, their families are ready to go to bed. Yeah. So we spend more time with them than we do our own families. Yep. And, yep. you know, when the kids realize that and we're there every day for them, um, you know, and that's the feel we want. We want them to feel like they're family because they are. Yeah. And, and no one wants to see a family member fail. So, 
unfortunately there's there's those brutal conversations of you know having to be honest with a kid like oh coach i want to i want a d1 scholarship yeah i mean i do too Uh, but you know not everybody's a d1 player and having those tough conversations i think a lot of kids in the end respect because you know we didn't blow them up and set them up for failure we we gave them an opportunity to go somewhere where they can play and compete and you know there there's some kids that still won't they don't want to let that dream die and that's great and they're able to get a walk on here and there and you know hopefully one day play on that division 1 field but it's it's a hard reality and especially as a parent you know when you look at your kid you know that that's your kid and yeah sure. they're the best in your eyes they're the best and and of course you should feel that way about your kids but it, it's not reality and I think that that's the hard part in what we do is, yeah, you're the best player on our team and yeah, you can go play college ball, but you're, you're not ready for that level yet. Yeah. And, I think parents got to realize like, it's not the onus is not on the high school coach to get the scholarship at the, or as far as who gets the scholarship. It's the college coaches are deciding. So I guess I yeah. just never understood the blaming the high school coach when your kid doesn't get <laughs> blame the college coach for not making the offer in my opinion, but that that's a whole different thing, man. I agree with you, man. It takes a village, but for my, this is just my advice for my listeners. You know, mm-hmm. I think the number one voice in that village, if you do decide to employ some personal trainers, which you said there, there is some need for them. I'm sure if there's certain specific skills, I feel like in general, you guys, I'm sure provide all of the training and conditioning that they need. But if maybe there is some certain element they want to work on, maybe especially if they're a punter or a kicker, or there's some special skill they're trying to work on. Sure. There's those kinds of guys, but in my opinion, parents listening, the first voice you want to trust is your high school coach. That that should be kind of your one a, and then of course you, you know, you have your other people that are in your camp and in your village that are helping, you know, develop your child, but it should not be the other way around. It should not be adversarial. It should not be no trust of the high school coach, like of, or no trust of the high school coach. I, I, I definitely feel that way. And I'd also say last part is keep in mind the personal trainer, just, he's only, he's only really accountable to his clients. So if I'm a personal right. trainer and I have one member of the Sharpstown high school football team or the Aldean high school football team, of course I'll tell that parent, Oh yeah, your kid's the best. Cause I, I'm not representing the other kids on that team. That's where right. the high school coach is different. The high school coach has to represent every single one of those, uh, you know, children on his team. And so that's why sometimes they're going to give you news. You don't want to hear. They're going to be p- telling you what you don't want to hear because they're not just looking out for your child. They're looking out for every child. So Man, coach, we could talk about that all day long, but man, I'm so I'm so <laughs> glad. I'm serious. I'm so glad to have people like you, yourself, Coach Ojeda, you know, uh, Coach Gonzalez. You know, we'll talk about it in a second here too. But all you coaches that have just just you're in it for the right reasons. You work long hours. You have families that you're away from, and I've lived that too, man. I totally get it. And I'm, I'm just thankful, and that's why we do shows like these. But let's talk about your coaching career. Or one yeah. last question. I always ask this, Coach. When you stepped foot onto campus at Sol Ross, did you already know you wanted to coach? Or would you initially start studying to do something else? Uh, you know what? It was when I when I first stepped foot into college, I didn't really know what I wanted. Um, but when I transferred to Sol Ross, that that's what was kind of in my mind. Um, my coaches in sports was always a huge part of my life and such a positive influence in my life. I knew I wasn't going to play forever. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'm at, I'm, a, I'm walking on at a division three university, you know, how much right, I'm sure. going to play or if I'm going to play, you know, I don't even know what position they're going to put me at, 
I was just happy to be out there and playing again. But that was definitely something when I when I got to Soul Ross, I knew I wanted to do. Uh, I, I couldn't see my life without being around this great sport at all. Yep. No, that I you know glad to hear that. And it's interesting though. I've been keeping stats, and you you'd be kind of surprised. So there are a lot of people like. I knew in middle school, I wanted to be a coach. You pretty much knew as soon as you started playing college football, you, that made up your mind, but 62% of my guests, and these are people that are winning coach of the year awards, 62% when they were in college, they did not know they wanted to be a coach. And so that just, that also goes to show that, yes, some of us, we know from a young age or early on, but anyone listening, if you're listening to this show, it probably means you love sports. If you're doing something else and you you keep thinking like, man, I hate my day job. I hate going to this office every day. I, think about it. As long as you love kids and you want to make a difference, it's never too late. I always say that. But let's talk about your coaching career, Coach. You started back in your hometown of El Paso. You were mm -hmm. at Isleta, Bel Air, and Eastwood. So just from those, that, that whole part, part of your career, those three stops, anything you want to point out or any highlights or, or great memories from, from those years? Oh, man. <laughs> I think there's – I'm sure at, there's a ton, any... but some of the main ones. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. at, at any stop, there's going to be memorable moments. Um, I think my first stop at Isleta, where I got my career started, I think the most memorable most memorable moment of that time in my life was being able to coach with my oldest brother, Ruben. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we both started coaching high school football together the same year at that school. Uh, the head coach that hired us was actually one of his high school coaches. So, yeah. you know, that's how we got our foot in the door and – you know, one of, one of the biggest questions, uh, and his name was Coach Clark, one of the biggest things Coach Clark asked us, you know, when he was, you know, trying to build his staff when he got the head job there, is he knows how family members are and, you know, all those rivalries and fighting, mm -hmm. bickering back and forth. Uh, that was one of the biggest things he was concerned about with hiring us is, you know, how how are you guys going to be? Right. And, I don't know how my brother Ruben answered, but I know when I answered him, I was like, you know what? I love it. Yeah. Um, we get along. Um, you know, I think us playing at the same high school, playing for the same head coach and coordinators and all those things, you know, we kind of had our mindset and ideas of, you know, how we saw football, how we saw high school football. Um, I was a tight end. He was a quarterback. So, you know, when we were coaching offense together, he was looking at things from one perspective and I was looking at it from another, which I think when we got together, you know, really helped us, really helped us grow because we yeah. were able to give each other different perspectives. I was looking at it from the offensive line and route running perspective, and he was looking at it from the complete perspective. Right. So we, I mean, we worked, we worked great together and, you know, those six years at Isleta were, were amazing. Um, moving on from there to Bel Air was my first coordinator opportunity. Okay. And, uh, the coaches there that I worked with, obviously, um, you know, you build great relationships. Uh, the defensive coordinator there at Bel Air at the time is actually my defensive coordinator at Sharpstown now. Yeah. So, um, you know, coach Medina is yeah. from New Mexico. Yeah. Um, you know, started in the, you know, his first job in Texas was there at Bel Air high school. So, I mean, we've known each other for 15 years. Yeah. Um, hard worker, you know, great mind, loves kids. He's a kid magnet in the building. So, you know, having him along yeah. with me there at Sharpstown has been a blessing. Um, our numbers continue to grow. And, you know, really that's 
that that's the starting point of building of helping to continue building a program is you know getting getting those numbers up so he's been he's been second to none um yep. he's been great he's been great a breath of fresh air um and then my last stop in El Paso was at Eastwood High School, which was actually the rival high school to Bel Air where I was at. Wow. Um, I actually taught at the middle school um, that fed into Eastwood High School. Okay. So they're all they're all in the same school district. Uh, I wasn't blessed to be able to be on campus where I coached, but I had a great middle school job. Um, and it was a it was a great fit um, that last year going to Eastwood because I already knew all the kids. Yeah, you know, I had them all in middle school and now they're in high school. So it was an easy transition going from there and actually being able to go from just teaching the kids to actually now them seeing me on the field as a football coach and not just as a teacher. Right. You know, it was a great year. It was a great year. I still have um, great relationships with a lot of those kids who are men now. And um, but for me, it was, um, you know, out of the three of us with my older brothers, you know, I was the only one that left El Paso to go to college. They both stayed there and went to UTEP and, okay. you know, did things there. But me, I always wanted something different. I guess I was the most independent out of the three. Um, so an opportunity to come out to Houston presented itself. You know, I wasn't married, didn't have any kids. And I was like, you know what? you know, as, as a Texas coach, you know, you always dream of, you know, East Texas or the DFW Houston right, area, right, right. great teams and great athletes where you always see all these D one kids everywhere. Sure. You know, that opportunity presented itself and, you know, there was really nothing holding me and grounding me down to El Paso. So, you know, I, I got offered the job and, couple hours later I accepted it and then before I knew it that summer I was trying to pack up everything and find a place to live <laughs> yeah and you came out to and, the north side where you know this was kind of where we crossed paths for a little bit you're at Aldean Davis my good mm -hmm. friend James Showers you know and I think back to those times there's five schools in Aldean and all five head coaches yes we're competitors on the field and everything but we really kind of had a little fraternity because only we knew, I guess, what it was like, you know, kind of, you know, to, to have that experience, you know, and uh, I, I think back fondly on those years, James Showers, uh, Andy Garza at MacArthur, Kerry uh, mm -hmm. Bamberg uh, at Ike, and uh, Rich Rich Slater at Nimitz, and, you know, the, yeah, the, so I, I think back, and I, I really enjoyed Coach Showers, and I mean, you guys had some incredible teams, I, you know, I sometimes I think he, he was kind to all kind of take the foot off the gas a little bit late, late in our two <laughs> matchups, you know, and I appreciate always appreciate coach showers for that, but man, just so impressed. So just when you think back to that, that stop at Davis, can you just speak to what it was like working for coach showers or anything about your experience there? You know what? I, I can't thank coach showers enough. You know, yeah. he gave me my first opportunity to come out to Houston and really, you know, broaden my horizons and, you know, really helped me further my coaching career. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, here right now speaking with you if it wasn't right. for him so you know i can't thank coach showers enough um i think he's he's a great man and uh, you know I, I hope he's doing well uh, i wish him nothing but the best um we definitely um the the three years i was at davis you know definitely came across some great coaches and some great kids um and we we try to keep our relationships you know as much as we can um but yeah no I remember the first 
my the first summer workout when I first moved to Houston the next day I was you know at summer strength and conditioning camp and I was on the track I didn't have a key to get in the building so I kind of knew they were going to be coming out and when they started coming out of the locker room walking onto the track I just couldn't help but think like holy shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> I yeah. was like, is every school like this? Like, God. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you got 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", 6'1", 6'2", and you're just like, well, there, there's that reason right there, just with these 10 kids walking out first. You know, there's why you don't have any state championship football teams in El Paso. Right, sure, sure. I mean, I, and, and there's some great coaches in El Paso. I Absolutely. Mean, I mean, I some of the guys that I know and talk to, I mean, I have so much respect for football in El Paso, uh, just the preparation, because this is what you have to coach against, you know, and there, there's not a lot of guys that look like that and play and run like that in El Paso. So, you know, you got to get your kids ready to go to battle with those guys and, and the coaches out there do a, a wonderful job. They're great coaches. I love, you know, coaching school, getting together with those guys and chopping yeah. it up. And, but yeah, that was my first reaction at Davis was shit. I Do you remember, was I that mean, the 2015 season? Do you remember the year? It was 2014. So, it so was, you uh, came one year before first, I came then. Right. It was, it was the first varsity season at Davis. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So and the I mean, thing, yeah, I, I always got to ask coach, you know, cause you, you guys were great. You guys were a playoff team. I still remember going up to Thorne and watching that, that battle you had of uh, Cy Creek, you know, that one. Oh year. God. Yeah. Yeah. The thing yeah, I got to ask is 3432. Yep, 3432. But I always got to ask if we talk about this whenever I had some of my Aldine Mustang guests on. You know, my career coaching record as a head coach is 2 and 18, you know. So nothing to write home about. We were 2 and 8 my first year in 2015. We went 0 and 10 the following year yeah, in 2016. But in that 2015 season, we were able to beat a playoff team. You know, we beat Nimitz on a rainy Saturday afternoon. And I know that you're yeah. focused on your games. I'm just curious, did did you guys in the office kind of like when you saw that score come through, were you like, "Whoa?" Aldine got Nimitz, you know. I'm just curious. What, you know what, what the reaction was? The the funny thing is, is that happened the year before. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Happened, yeah, that was it our happened the year before with Aldine, yeah. and I forgot who we had just finished playing, but we were sitting in the office, and of course, you know, I I had a good, I have a great relationship with Coach Crawford, who was there yeah. before you, and yep. Coach Medina was the DC, and a lot of those guys, and I was like, you know what? I was like, man, these guys are going to upset MacArthur and get in the playoffs. <laughs> and and I remember every coach in that office looked at me and just, man, you're full of shit. <laughs> I was like, I was like, all right. I was like, watch. Yeah. And I think that week MacArthur had a letdown against somebody. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all these are going to get there next week. And sure enough, they did and got in the playoffs. And everybody looked at me like, you, how the hell? That's what it was. Yeah, because Nimitz and MacArthur played each other in the last game, and uh, Nimitz beat him. So MacArthur was poised to take that last playoff spot, but Nimitz beat him uh, and got in there. So we got to have the distinction of beating a playoff team, and then like you almost got it right, Coach. We had MacArthur on the ropes. We, it was That was one of the most exciting games. We were back and forth. Yeah, I want to say it was like 32-24 or something like that. It was a one-score game. Uh, but, yeah, that, that was a fun season, and, you know, for Aldine, that was the last, and I, I know Coach Ahead brought this up on, on his episode because he keeps he keeps tabs and everything like last district win. Oh yeah, and that was it. 
a, a, an upset yeah. against Nimitz. Uh, my first year there at Alden was the last district win. And I just, I, I've got to watch one of his games this season and I'm just really excited about the direction that the program's going. I, you know, I really enjoyed what coach Semmel was doing the program as well. He was the guy who was on my staff, but I, I really like what coach ahead is doing. I know it won't be long before that streak is broken. Uh, and, you know, and, and Aldine does get that yeah. district win for sure. No, he, he's definitely a very passionate man. Um, he's a coach that cares. Yep. Uh, he, he genuinely loves what he does. He works, he works his tail off. Um, you know, I was blessed to work with him at, at Eisenhower when I left Davis, he was the offensive coordinator at Eisenhower and I went over there and did receivers for him. So that's how he and I got, you know, our relationship started yep. and, and coaching together. And so, you know, I know, I know how much time, effort and love he puts into what he does. And no, same, same like you, you know, I don't think it's going to be long before, you know, yeah. he turns it around and, and he gets on someone and gets them to start opening their eyes a little bit because he he's definitely a great coach. Absolutely. Um, you know, he's he's surrounding himself with some great people and there, there's no doubt in my mind they're going to do some great things. Are, is there going to be some some struggles and hard times? Absolutely. You know, yep. going up against, you know, Westfield and Spring and Decaney right. and, yep. Yep. you know, Eisenhower and Davis always have some kids that can go and so, you know, he's always going to be on, you know, unfortunately at Aldine, they're going to be on the, the short end of the stick on those. But, you know, there, there's no doubt um, his coaching ability and preparation, you know, he's going to get some people. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't want to say, oh, hopefully that leads to bigger and better things. You know, I wish him nothing but the best of where he's at and, you know, appreciate the opportunity he gave me, which allowed me to be, you know, in yeah. my position now. But yeah, no, all Aldine, the Mustangs are definitely in good in great hands. Yeah. Um, they got a guy who's gonna work endlessly for them and provide anything and everything he can. And those kids are gonna be ready. You know, there's there, you know, there's there's nothing you can say about that. Those kids will be prepared and they will go into each game with a plan and they will be ready for it. Now it's when the when those lights come on and sure. are they ready to execute it? Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I, to I totally agree. So I, I can't wait till that moment happens when that upset's going to happen again, where there's going to be, it's going to open some eyes in the district. But, you know, oh, the last thing on Eisenhower, another team player podcast alum is Sergio Gonzalez, the head football coach at uh, Sam Houston Rayburn, or, excuse me, mm -hmm. Pasadena Sam Rayburn, excuse me. Right. And did, did you, did you, is that where you crossed paths with him? Was that Ike? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He was, so Hayda was the offensive coordinator. Sergio was the running back coach and I was the receivers coach. Oh, so, yeah, what an we, offense. We, we, oh my God. That's <laughs> awesome. Wow. So it was definitely a blast, you know, and then of course, you know, we worked for, for coach Bamberg and yeah, Bamberg, Bamberg still, still yeah. a great friend of mine and yeah. a guy I look at as a mentor. <laughs> I'm actually going to go down to his beach house later. Hey, so, tell Bamberg that he, uh, my, my invite <laughs> must have gotten lost in the mail. What's up? <laughs> I'll, I'll let him know. I'll, I'll let him know. Uh, yeah. But no, um, you know, Bamberg definitely, you know, See, Bamberg's got that big together. money. He's got the beach at beach property. I don't have any of that. So I don't know what that, that Ike money must've been different. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, no, I ain't got it either. But, right. uh, but yeah, no, those are definitely some, some great times in, in, yeah, in, the, awesome. in that coaching office. And, you know, he was a great guy to work for, you know, he allowed us to do what we did and, you know, he wasn't a micromanager constantly looking over our shoulder. You know, he let his coaches work, which is what he hired us to do. So I definitely appreciate that. And, you know, during that during that time, I mean, 
it was kind of funny that the two birds in the district were really flying high, you know, the Davis Falcons and, and soup soup of the Ike Eagles, you know? <laughs> and uh, I just always remembered coach Bamberg again, in some of those games, he could have hung a hundred on me if they wanted to, you know, or us, you know, and he, he always did everything with class. And I just remember he actually went out of his way, even though we were struggling and losing games just to always pull me aside and, or and welcome me into sometimes I'd go to his office, just to chat, you know, you know, on a, a day we had some free time and just to chat with him and, he just like he's just a good person, and he would be that guy telling you, you know, Kobo, you guys are doing a good job. Just like we're seeing with Coach Ahead and what they're doing, like he was telling me the same things. Like I see that you're doing the right things. You know, it's gonna come, it's gonna come. But I've always respected him for that. You know, that kind of friendship and and just helping helping coaches when they are struggling. You know, and so right. I, I really appreciated that. Now after all after your experience in Aldine, you you stayed kind of on the north side of town there, just went a little bit east out to Humble. And mm -hmm. I imagine then, were you working with my good friend, Charles West? Was that the... Yes. Yeah, West. Who's <laughs> oh, a... well, I'll tell you this story, Coach. It's kind of funny because now he's the assistant athletic director of Spring mm -hmm. Branch ISD. And so I, I, I broadcast a lot of Spring Branch games this season. I'd see him out there and pretty <clears throat> we talk for a little bit. And he, he'd look at me and goes, you miss coaching? You know, I said, hell yeah, I miss coaching. Like, I miss the relationship with the kids. But then he's like, uh, you ever going to come back? And I say, Charles, I got a two and 18 career record. Who the hell would want me? <laughs> you know, we just share a good laugh, man. He's good people. We used to scrimmage humble. So I guess you were, this was yeah. before, you know, you went over there, but when I was at Aldean, we scrimmaged humble, real good physical competitive scrimmage. Just, I just love everything about Charles West and, and his team. Oh yeah. What was your experience like coach? Man, well, I got to humble through um, our offensive coordinator, Joe Wheeler. Okay. Who I yep. worked with, who I worked with at Davis. So coach Wheeler and I, from you know from when I first got to Davis you know built a great relationship and he's still a great friend of mine to this day and uh you know they had lost some coaches and he was you know he knew things were kind of up and down at Ike and Bamberg was on the way out so he reached out to me and you know I, I was blessed with the opportunity to go to over there to humble and coach man coach West is different yeah. man he's a different guy but I love yeah. him He's you know, funny. He's a great coach. I mean, he's a ball coach. Yeah. Yep. You know, he he's passionate about football. He loves it. Offense, defense, special teams. It, it don't matter. Like he's he's about kicking ass and taking names, point yep. blank, period. Yeah. Like, and and you know what? And that's how he treated his coaches. Like, we got a job to do and we're gonna do it. If you can't do it, I'm gonna find someone that can. Right. So his his expectations were through the roof. And it was for the kids. It was for the coaches. It was, it was for everybody that walked through that building. And that was a breath of fresh air, you know, seeing, seeing a guy that, you know, humble hadn't, hadn't been on top in a while. Right. Um, they were just, when I got there, they were just coming off the Harvey year. Uh, so you played less games, but they were coming right. off, I believe a one in seven year. Right. Um, they had some great athletes. Um, I think that year they're, their quarterback who was a stud just tore his knee and was gone for the year. And so it was just every year there was something that, you know, prevented them from really being a, a solid team. And so the year we got there, they moved from five, a to six, a, and we were a 500 team. And even though that was four wins more than they had the year before, it still wasn't good enough for Charles for coach West. Sure. Yep. And, and, you know, we hit that off season with a different mindset and, and I mean, it was, it, it was full steam ahead right after the season ended the following week. We're, we're getting after it. Cause he was like, no, this ain't going to happen again. You know, we injuries and different things that happened to us that season. I mean, it was, who, who are we playing? Uh, 
we were playing Dobie. So we were with the Pasadena district. So we're playing Dobie. And I remember at one point, a lot of us, we looked to our bench and it looked like a mash unit. Mm -hmm. We had about four kids on crutches from that game. And we're like, what the hell is going on? Like, we didn't even know who to put in. Like coach Wheeler's there. Like, you know, West is yelling, screaming at coach Wheeler. Like you better put someone in. And Wheeler's like, we ain't got nobody else. Yeah. And it was one of those where, man, you pick up the pieces and you go. And so with that in mind, you know, that really got the mindset for that following year completely different. You know, we had to change the way we were training and all those things. And it was it was a hard offseason, but it was a great one. Yeah. And everything came together. And, you know, we went from five and five to ten and three the following year. Wow. You yep. know, it was. I mean, it was a great year. It was a great experience. You know, the kids, the kids completely bought in and believed in what we were doing. And you could see it from the O-line to quarterback to receivers to the defense. And I mean, the the feel of that team was just different from any other, any other team I'd been on. Even, you know, the great teams we had at Davis with, you know, Jeffrey McCulloch and, you know, yeah. some of those kids yeah. that I had. Yeah. I mean, it was a blessing to be able to coach those kids. And, you know, I have a great relationship with them to this day, but the feel of the team of that humble team was just different from, yeah. from any other team I'd ever coached. Uh, and even the coaching staff, like we just, the way we all vibed together, the way we all fought for each other, the way those kids fought for each other. I mean, it was, it, it really was like a storybook ending going from five and five to 10 and three, you know, playing your last game at NRG was, I mean, it was special. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I learned a lot from coach West. Um, you know, he constantly challenged us as, as men and as coaches. And I think that that really is one of the things that prepared me for where I am now. Cause you know, at the end of the day, no one cares. No, no, no one cares what you go through day in and day out. No, they care about the result at the end of the day. And he was one of those that really helped help mold us and guide us to get in that mindset don't matter if we have a meeting at seven your ass better be in that room before seven. like i don't care how far you drive you better figure it out I, i'm with you no man i love that and, man. i love charles man i'm and uh yeah I, I know he's chomping at the bit sometimes like i can see him getting antsy <laughs> like he wants to get his whistle back out and get on the sideline but i i know that it allows him to have some time because now his son plays for stratford you know, mm -hmm. and so he kind of lets him to be a dad and just kind of watch, you know, from the side, which I think he's enjoying that. But no, man, I totally yeah. agree with you. And I think the, the lesson there is don't give up on coaches too easily. You know, Charles had a one win season. A lot of I'm sure there were parents, that, hey, get rid of them, change, change, change. And the thing is, to me, as a leader, as an athletic director, not that I've ever lived this role, but, you know, just if you you're you're constantly evaluating your coaches. If you see a guy that, again, d d don't worry about the record right at first. If you Watch what they do. Watch how they run the offseason, right? Watch their relationship with the kids. If you see that they're checking all those boxes, I think you stick with them. And when you do that and you give that coach the, the trust and the belief and you, that you're behind them, that's how you go from one to five to ten. And I think that yeah. that's also a testament, you know, to uh, Troy Kite, the athletic director out there at Humble, and making those decisions stick stick with Coach West. That was the right decision. But I can also oh, think absolutely. I would say is, like, I've been a part of a, a double-digit win team also at Ridgepoint my last year. And mm -hmm. you're right, man. Like getting to that regional semifinal round and just like it's something that can't really be described other than that you get, it's just special. You just we just knew 
we just kind of knew coming into that year is going to be a special year, just the vibe of the team. And uh, it's just special. And I hope that everybody, whether they're a coach or a player or whatever, you, you get to experience at least once in your life being a part of a team like that. But let's talk about Sharpstone. Oh, definitely. Yep. So yeah, how did you? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about, you know, how you obviously you were having a ton of success uh, at Humble. You know, what was it that, that led you to, to you know, rejoin with your former uh, coworker from Ike, Cirillo Ojeda? Well, you know, it was one, one being blessed with that opportunity, you know, yeah. not being a native Houstonian. Yeah. You know, I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of those connections with principals and athletic sure, directors. Sure, sure. And, and I, I mean, I've been able to meet a ton of head coaches and things like that, but to have those personal relationships with a lot of those people that allow you to get in some of those positions, I didn't have. Right. Um, I could have stayed in El Paso and, probably most likely been a head coach before I became one out here. But that was my goal when, when I left El Paso is, you know, I'm getting away from my brother, you know, cause I'm the youngest of three. So, you know, yeah. you always get that little brother stuff sure. your whole life. When we first started coaching, once people found out we were brothers and I was a little brother, I started getting that again as an adult. And I was like, right. I don't need this. Yeah. Right. Right. So that, that was part of my mindset moving out to Houston is I'm starting over. I'm going to start from the bottom, but I'm going to earn, I'm going to earn and work my way up and I'm going to do it on my back and my work ethic and the things that I've been taught. And I'm not going to rely on, Oh, this is, you know, that's Mark's brother, Ruben's brother. Like, no, that's right, coach Torres right. period. And, you know, when, when coach Ojeda got, the job at Sharpstown, we were actually at the regional meeting when he started talking to me and he was like, you know, I haven't signed anything. It's not official, but you know, would, would you come over and be my coordinator when all this happens? And I was, and he was like, you know, I don't want to say anything yet until things are in writing. Cause you know how all that goes. And I was sure. like, coach, would, yeah. when you put your name down on paper, give me a call and, and we'll, we'll talk, we'll go. And it was one of those that it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. You know, I came out here for a reason uh, with a goal in mind, and he provided me that first opportunity to move up like that. And so, you know, I, I can't thank him enough. You know, he's, he taught me a lot, uh, continues to teach me a lot. We're still great friends to this day. And, you know, he, he gave me the opportunity to be to get my first coordinator job out here in Houston, which ultimately led to me becoming the head coach at Sharpstown. Now, you know, that, let's talk about that, that season in which I believe was your first season, if, I, if my memory serves me correctly. But you guys were literally a point away, I believe, from the playoffs. There was that 21 to 20 overtime loss against the Willow Ridge Eagles. That I think maybe it so, was the difference maker. I mean, I know you were right there pushing for a playoff spot. So that was actually our second year. Our, second, first okay. year our first year was the COVID year. That's so, right. Okay, that's right. And, and the funny thing is Coach Ojeda had been on campus for maybe a week. Uh, yep. and then they go on spring break and never come back. Just like so, coach Andres Gomez from Northbrook, one of our recent episodes told that exact same story. He got introduced, yeah. had a little pep rally. And then two days later, he never saw his kids for another <laughs> right a year. So, so, I mean, even myself and, you know, the, the coordinators that he brought on, you know, I didn't, the first time I saw and met these kids was the first day of fall practice. Right, right, right. And uh, and it was it was definitely a different world. It was a shock. Um, but, you know, 
Sharpstown at the time, I believe, had gone on a 23-game losing streak. Right. That's right. And we opened that year up with a win. And so we, we broke the streak right off the bat. Yep. But that was our only win that year. You know, we went one in, I believe we had eight or nine games. I can't remember. I think we were one in eight. So I think we only had nine games. We only had one pre-district game, and then we went into district. So we were one in eight. But, you know, the kids were all feeling great. We were competitive. And, you know, when you talk to other coaches, like, you know, hey, coach, you guys are doing a great job. You know, the, the kids are out there. They're working hard. You know, they're, they're, they're fighting. So you guys are doing a great job. And, you know, us as competitors, like, I don't want to hear that. Like, sure. We just, you just beat us by 30. Like, I don't want to hear we're yeah. competing. We lost. Right. But in the grand scheme of things, when you look at it, they were. The kids were fighting hard. They were, you know, they were playing their tails off. And the following year, our second year, you know, we go from one in one in eight to three and seven. And all three, all three wins were in district. That's right. Um, but yeah, we actually it was seven. We were seven points away from being in the playoffs. Seven. Um, okay. We we had lost to Willow Ridge in overtime, uh, which was oh god, that was a killer. Um, but god, it was, I mean, it was a heck of a game. Our kids went out and they fought fought scratch clawed their way and you know nobody thought we we would be able to to hang with a Fort Bend school like that and take them to overtime so that really gave them a lot of confidence and so we lost that game by one and then the following week we played Sterling and I don't know what it was I don't know if our kids had a little emotional hangover from that overtime loss but Sterling jumped all over us. It was 18 nothing at halftime, and we were like, come on, this is not the team we are. Right. And I think we had 10 holding calls in the first half where anytime we had a, a decent play, it came back. Yeah. And we weren't a team that was built to, to come back from first and 20. Sure. So, you know, our kids rebounded. They got their minds right. You know, they flipped that switch in the second half, and 18 nothing. all of a sudden it's – 24-18 and you know they ended up beating us or 20 to 18 um they ended up beating us 26-20 so that six point loss and that one point loss in those back-to-back -back weeks ultimately is what kept us from being in the playoffs which you know three and seven you know had we gone five and five we would have been a playoff team Yep, and then you, Coach Ojeda gets the opportunity to move on, you know, to the Aldine Mustangs, and so you're. I think that this school made a great choice to keep the continuity of all the great things you had started. You become the head coach this season again. You matched your win total. You had another three win season. You got locked in a really, and I, I was following this because I do a, I do a high school pick them pick them podcast at the game. I'm picking you know scores and winners, and it was a kind of a fun race. You were in a three way tie actually in the district uh, along with Austin and Wisdom. So you guys had a couple really good knockdown drag out games this season. But again, you're kind of right there, you know, Milby being the team that you're chasing was kind of right on that bubble line. And so you're, again, mm -hmm. you're, you're in striking distance here with Sharpstown. And the thing I want to ask you for a lot of coaches listening, and I, I was, I was guilty of this when I, you know, I grew up in Fort Bend ISD. I went to Austin high school. I coached at Clements and Ridgepoint. Sometimes when, you know, you, you go scout games, getting ready for the first round of the playoffs and you, you see teams that, you know, get, beat on real bad score lines. And I couldn't help my mind wondering like, man, what's going on over there? How, how can it be? How can this kind of, uh, how can it be this bad? And then, you know, I, I, I coached at Aldi and I was a part of, you know, some, some 
lopsided losses. And it really opened my eyes and, and changed my perspective. And what I learned is I really learned from talking to a lot of coaches and getting to know more coaches that are on these teams. that go two and eight or one and nine or oh and 10. There's a lot of really good coaches out there. I think the things, and I'll, I'll let you speak more to this, but some of the things that I noticed is, you know, a suburban school versus maybe a school, you know, that, that's a little more urban, the consistency, you know, mm-hmm. the consistency in the kids' lives. You know, I think in some of these more suburban communities, there's a lot of consistency. You know, it's a it's very kind of rinse, repeat, a lot of structure. I noticed sometimes at Aldine, we would have like a great, a great workout or a great day in the offseason. And like, it just seemed like oftentimes, like the next day would be followed of something completely out of left field, a surprise, you know, that really kind of had us reeling and it had to quickly adjust. And so I'm curious your opinion, you know, being at Sharpstown. And again, before you and Coach Aheda came, 20 plus game losing streak, you know, uh, what factors do you kind of see sometimes for coaches that are listening and maybe coaches that have not coached, uh, you know, uh, you know, in the city, what, what are some, what are some factors that, that you see? Is it, is, is it kind of situation, maybe having kids having to mispractice for, you know, this reason or that reason or, or, or numbers being an issue. I'm just curious, like to, what do you see differences from like maybe coaching out in the suburbs versus coaching, uh, you know, at Sharpstown? Uh, well, you know, it's, it's definitely consistency and accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, Sharpstown is a different world. And, you know, I, when people try to tell me, like, they look at my team, like, oh, it looks like you got a bunch of athletes. I'm like, we do. We, we do have yeah. some athletes. We have some great kids. But our kids aren't football first kids. Sure. sure. Um, when you look at the demographic of Sharpstown, I mean, we have kids from all over the world. Yeah. Um, you know, even, even Latin America, Yeah. you know, they, you know, they're not all, you know, Mexican, you know, we have kids from El Salvador, Honduras, Belize, uh, the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Venezuela. Um, and then, you know, you look at our African-American kids, well, we have African-American kids, but we also have African kids. Sure. So, I mean, we, we have kids from Nigeria, the Congo countries I've never heard of. Yeah. And, and they're all in the Sharpstown area and they're all going to school together. Um, recently in the last year and a half, you know, we have, uh, we had a large influx of kids from the middle East. Yeah. So, I mean, we have, you know, Afghan, Afghan kids from Afghanistan and, and they're all there going to school together. Um, so it's, you know, it's hard. Um, especially when, you know, football is not their first sport. A lot of them have no, have never played it before. And that, that was the situation we ran into this year. We have a lot of, we had a lot of first time players on our team, um, had never been in an off season program, have never really lifted weights. They may have done a little weight lifting on their own here and there, but never been in a program. And I think that was the biggest thing that we saw. And, you know, my defensive coordinator, you know, coach Medina did a great job of helping me keep things in perspective. Right. Um, Cause you know, and we watch film and your kids are there, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, but they physically couldn't make the play. Sure. You know, we're playing Milby, you know, Milby had, had some, had some darn good running backs that ran hard and, you know, our kids would be there, meet them in the hole. And on a normal day, it's a one yard gain or one yard loss or no gain. And our kids there, he's, he's going at his legs and he just bounces off. Right. And it wasn't that the kid didn't try or didn't give the effort. He just physically couldn't do it. You know, he did everything he was supposed to do, had good form and just bounced off that kid's leg. Yeah. And so, 
you know, watching film with our kids and showing them all these things. Um, and I think the fact that, you know, we weren't yelling and screaming and, you know, berating them and all these things. And we're just kind of using this as a teaching tool for next year is look, you, you guys are there, you know what to do right now. You physically can't do it. And then that's when we just started harping on the importance of getting in the weight room. You know, when, when this season's over and we start our, our lifting program, that's going to change. Next year's going to change. You're going to be able to make that play, but you're going to have to put in the work in the weight room and off season. You do those things that won't happen on film. Yeah. And so I think with the message that we've sent to those kids in that way and not constantly tearing them down and tearing them down and, you know, but showing them where their faults are and where they're lacking. And it's not because, uh, I mean, the only reason is they're lacking is they hadn't been playing their whole lives. Totally agree, coach. They don't know what they don't know. Like I remember that at, right. at Aldean, you know, I mean, coach yeah. Ojeda, I'm sure deals with this. Cause I mean, it was like that when I was there and I'm sure things are similar. Like, there are a lot of kids that are international students at all. Mm -hmm. They're, they're not all, you know, uh, some people may just maybe do a quick cursory glance and see Hispanic, you know, surnames on the team and think, Oh, you know, Mexican families that have grown up loving the Cowboys and, and been here, but it's not always that sometimes there right. are kids come from El Salvador, you know, Nicaragua, whatever, you know, and mm -hmm. the common game around the world is soccer, you know, what they call, you know, football around the rest of the world and soccer here in the United right. States. Our soccer team at Aldean was exceptional. Coach Melvin bought a oh, yeah. good, good friend of mine. My first year, we went all the way to the state semifinals or the regional final. One of those two, I forget exactly which round. We lost to Cinco Ranch. Yeah, it was a regional final because we lost to Cinco Ranch. We came out of nowhere. But again, it was, yes, it was kids mm -hmm. come from all over, but they, the, the, the uniting love is soccer. That's right. not the case oh, for absolutely. football. Not the case for oh, football. It, and you know how it is, yeah. Coach. I mean, football is one of those games. It's not a game you can easily just pick up because it's so physical, <laughs> so dependent on strength. You don't just like... You can maybe pick up a soccer ball and kind of understand, you know, what's going on, but like football is different. <laughs> right. Right. And so, you know, that that's been the biggest thing is the consistency there. You know, yeah. our, our kids have bought in, um, you know, their, their maxes are going up. And the, the, I guess the beauty of that, them not really ever going through a lifting program is we didn't have to correct a lot. Of, that's a lot true. Of it was like uh, uh, fresh clay, fresh clay, right? You could just mold right. them exactly how you wanted them. We didn't, we didn't have to break bad habits because there <laughs> were no true. habits. And uh, so, you know, our kids, you know, their technique and squatting and things like that, you know, we just, once we started teaching them, they, they grasped it and, you know, their strength is going up constantly week after week they're starting to develop that confidence in themselves, which, you know, you can see that glow in their eye and the smiles in their faces. They can't wait to get in the weight room. And for us, I think that's just going to pay huge dividends in the end. Um, you know, it, we started last year, game one, we only had 15 kids eligible to play on the field. Right. And wow. And, the, and those kids went out and played their tails off. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can't, I can't say anything bad. I mean, we can, you know, we sit here and should have done this and should have done that. And we should have 40, 50 kids. Well, we didn't, we had 15. Right. And, you know, we poured everything into those 15 kids and they gave us everything they had and fought for four quarters week after week until our team grew. And so now we have a, you know, consistent 38, 40 kids in the weight room every day that are working hard. And, you know, that's just going to continue to grow and help us get where we want to be. Um, so definitely, um, I can definitely see big things happening. Um, definitely getting excited for the future of what, what Sharpstown can be and what, what we can offer. 
Um, you know, my coaching staff, you know, the coaches I have with me, I have done a great job in the off season, you know, especially, you know, with some of the other sports ending and them coming back into the off season and mixing it in with those kids and, you know, and even them seeing just the way the kids have been working, the, the change in and how the kids are approaching every day. It, it, it's been a breath of fresh air. And, you know, I, I can't wait to see what these kids do. And I can't wait to see, you know, with our, you know, the freshman class we have coming in that joins these kids next year, you know, these older kids lead them and get them going in the right direction. Cause that's, that's going to be ultimately, that's going to be what changes Sharpstown football. That's really cool, man. And, you know, I've seen a lot of like news coverage about wisdom high school and how much of the international school it is and all the different languages spoken, but really, I guess I didn't realize you're right across 59 from them. You know, that's your big right there. I mean, your, your campus is extremely similar. And I guess I've just never seen right. it really covered in the news that way, like the way that wisdom is. Um, that's really mm -hmm. cool. And, yeah, like, I guess last thing on that, I mean, it, it's just different. You know, a lot of these kids also probably have work responsibilities or, you know, watching younger siblings responsibilities. And I remember dealing with some of those things because, you know, you know how it is like at these big programs that are going deep. It's kind of a, a big time commitment that the families need to sign up for as well. Right. Where right you're working out all summer and you're staying after school for track practice and i mean it, it is becomes a year uh it's a year-long commitment i mean i know if my son he's gonna grow up around football he's gonna be playing flag football ever as soon as he can you know it's like mm -hmm. it's just so hard to make up all those years of lost time but you guys are doing it you know you're you're you're, you're molding you're molding those young men and so i can't wait already for next season but as we kind of get towards the end of the show we kind of touched on this a little bit. This is the portion of the show where I always talk about, I hate the negativity in sports. I hate now that I'm a broadcaster and I'm sitting in the stands sometimes, like I hate seeing parents that are just dogging the coach, dogging the other players on the team, yelling at the officials constantly. I mean, I, I just hate all of that. You kind of talked, right. we, we did, we addressed it already a little bit early, but any other angle you want to take as far as like when, when parents behave like that, I think that they're, they're hurting the experience for their kid. I've had a couple right. of guests that really kind of opened my eyes it's that I never thought about it this way. But if, if I come home and I tell my son, my son, say my son's playing on your team, I go, son, coach Torres sucks. He's, he's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> I'm cutting the legs out from under my son to be the best that he can be. You know, if you're telling your kid that the coach doesn't know what he's doing, the kid is going to have that in the back of his mind. There's going to, there's got to be some little bit of level of doubt or disrespect. You know, you know what I mean? Like, why would you do that? Like, this is your coach, whether you like it or not. In my opinion, you should build that coach up and, and your, your kid's going to want to run through a brick wall for him. But anyway, I digress, coach. Any any last thoughts, man, just on that aspect? Because I, I hate that. When I'm sitting up there and I, I see that negative stuff, I just hate it. So any last piece of advice you can give to our society as far as how we can try to be better with that? Yeah. <clears throat> man, I, I mean, it, it's a tough question or it's a tough resolution sure. um, because if it was that easy to change the way fans are, it'd be that easy to change sure. any sure. problem we have in society. Um, I, I think the biggest thing for me is you got to keep things in perspective. Um, one, why are you there? Right. You know, I don't, you know, even, and, you know, as a fan, um, as a fan of teams and things myself, you know, I'm not going to spend my money to go watch a team or watch my team just so I can talk trash about them. Right. I can do right. that for free right. at home. Yes. Um, and to me, it's like, we gotta, we have to understand what our purpose is and why we're there. Um, and the per and, and why are those people performing? Why are they there? You know, if it's, you know, an amateur sport, no one's getting paid. 
you know, you're not paid to do that. I mean, those kids aren't being paid to go yeah. out and play high school football. They're doing it because they love it. And because, you know, a lot of them see that as the, as a stepping stone to build their future, you know, a way to get into college, hopefully have college paid for because of how they perform. Um, and I think, you know, nobody's perfect. You know, if you can look at yourself in the mirror and have can say you've never made a mistake, you know, then by all means say whatever you want to say, but none of us can say that. Um, and, and it's hard, you know, even me as a fan of going and seeing, you know, my favorite teams play, I, for me, it's really hard to sit around the common fan. Totally agree, coach. Totally. Because agree. you're right. There, there's so much negativity and there's so much just, I mean, it, it, it's, it's hard. I'd, I'd rather sit, I'd rather sit on my couch and enjoy it with a few friends or even just by myself watching the game in, in the comfort of my own home. Because Those of us that have coached, we understand how hard it is to win. <laughs> I mean, we understand, <laughs> like, I just loved, or I don't love it. I hate it. How some of these fans oversimplify it and just be like, Oh, if you just called this play, you know, come on that other team's got coaches too. You know what I mean? So I, I, I coach, I took a 110%. Yeah. Or why do you throw that interception? Well, he didn't try to. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, no, no quarterback goes out there and says, I'm going to throw an interception on this play. Like, or the coach. I mean, I, there's been numerous times where coach, why did you do that? I'm like, well, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Your son threw the ball and it was an interception, not me. <laughs> right, yeah. Deflecting blame. Or, yeah. That, that we that's all the stuff that we could go on and on about like you're right we we this is not a problem that's gonna be solved overnight but hopefully we can no. just chip away at it bit by bit yeah you know i mean we we got to remember their especially and you know we'll keep it at the high school level i mean yeah. you know they're kids yeah i mean when when you can turn a game on on sunday and see the best football players in the world making the same mistakes that high school kids make you know yeah. take take it yeah. easy on that high school kid you know he's yeah, yeah. a kid some of them, it may be the first time they've ever played the sport. They're, they're going to make mistakes. Like, they're going to drop a pass. quarter. I mean, they're going to miss tackles and miss blocks and miss assignments. You know, you know, when we call plays, not every play's perfect. I mean, you, you go on how you feel. You go on statistics. You go on whatever it is, however it is you coach. You go on those and, you know, and the kids respond. And, you know, our kids going to do what they're taught. Yeah, most of the time they are going to do exactly what they're coached to do. But sometimes they go on their instincts and mistakes happen. Or sometimes yeah. they go on their instincts instincts and make you look like a genius. Yes. Um, <laughs> it, it goes both ways. But but at the end of the day, they're kids. Yeah. They're, they're kids playing a beautiful game. And, you know, I think if we keep that in perspective and we're there for the right reasons, you know, the, the atmosphere will be – a million times better than yeah. it has been in a lot of places. All right, coach, man, we appreciate all the gems that you dropped for us. That That's the end of, of the, the, the serious portion of this. We always kind of end up a little <laughs> bit of fun. You know, we, all right. we like to talk about fandom. You know, I'm a big sports nut. You know, I've seen from your social yes. media. I know you're a big sports guy too, outside of your <laughs> coaching job. I mean, you're also a big fan. And so fans of the show know I'm an avid Jersey collector. I am where I busted out my Bruce Smith for you today. Cause yes, you are a Buffalo it. Bills fan. Oh yeah, Ooh, Bills man! Mafia. I love that yeah. documentary, The Four Falls of Buffalo, <laughs> and obviously the the, the four trips. And I'm not doing that to rub in or anything because I'm a Detroit Lions fan, so I I'm with you, brother. I understand. Oh, I got you. But, oh no, I mean I love that yeah. documentary too. It was yeah. it was but great. 
let's talk about that, man. Do you, because for, for me as a, as a Lions fan, I actually, people, some people look at me like, well, how could you be a Lions fan? And it's to me, like, that's the beauty of it. I want to be here at, at the, the low point. I want to be, I want to say I've always been with them because one day we're going to do it. I really believe that. Right. And I think oh, you probably feel the Do you feel the same way about Buffalo? Even though like some people laugh, like, oh, they, they're losers. They went to four Super Bowls. Uh, I, I think the opposite, yeah. like they got to go <laughs> Boy, to four Super Bowls. I love Super Bowl. losing Super Bowls. I've got <laughs> Yeah, talk about life. that, coach. <laughs> uh, you know, the funny thing is, is, you know, and people always ask me, are you from New York? No, I'm, I'm from Texas. <laughs> but, you know, it, it must have been second grade. Yeah. Uh, you know, collecting football, baseball, basketball cards. Yeah. I got an Andre Reed card. Oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know anything about Andre Reed. Didn't yeah. know who he was. I didn't know who the Buffalo Bills were. But I, for some reason, I traded a friend of mine. I got that card, and that was it for me. Yep. Andre Reed became my guy. He became my favorite player, and Love the it. Buffalo Bills Love became it. my team. And about a, uh, I guess a year, two years later, they, you know, they go to the Super Bowl and, you know, my favorite team's in the Super Bowl. And of course we get the wide right. <laughs> yeah. And that was the yeah. start of it for yeah. four straight years of it. And, but you know what? I, I wouldn't take it back for the world. I love Absolutely. it. Um, I love the Bills mafia. I love yes. the Buffalo Bills. Coach, have you ever been um, thrown through a table? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know you went to a game. Uh, at Buffalo this past year. So I was curious if, if you yes. got thrown through a table or anything. No. Um, and a bunch of my friends here, like, of course, you know, you know Buffalo's doing well now. Yeah. You know, Josh Allen and, yeah. you know, the coaching staff, you know, Sean McDermott and those guys. I mean, they've done a tremendous job getting Buffalo back yeah. and building some consistency, which I love. Um, but no, uh, you know, my friends, like, hey, we got a table for you. I'm like, you know what? We when and if we win a Super Bowl, I'll jump through a table. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so I'm waiting for that. You know, if they if they win the big one, if they win the big one, absolutely, I'll I'll go through a table. But love it. <laughs> just for a regular win, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. Now, Bill Bills fans are are the real deal. Like when I heard when I heard the rumblings that they may move to Austin, I was just like vomit in my mouth. Like nothing against Austin. Yeah, no. I got no problem with Austin, but come on. The Bills, yeah. you cannot. That that's one of our best franchises in the league. You cannot take that away. Yeah, I can't be an Austin Bill. You yeah. can't be the Austin Bills. I, uh, this doesn't even sound right. Well, then, Coach. So, so the cool thing about growing up in El Paso is, yes, you're a Texan, but again, we talked about the physical size of the state. It's not like you're close to Dallas or San Antonio or Houston. So you had no. that freedom where you kind of like your fandom. I'm about <laughs> to read these out. You're all over the place. You're West yeah. Coast. You're East Coast. You're Midwest. So here we go. Basketball. The Lakers. Did, yes. did you get an Eddie Jones card one day, or how did you become a Lakers fan? Or what's no, that? so my my dad's actually my dad was actually born in Southern California. Okay, there so, you go. I so see. him and my uncle, you know, his younger brother, you know, growing up in the eighties, they were Showtime. Right. So my dad's been a Lakers fan his whole life, and of course, you know, now with streaming and all sorts of things, you can watch games all over the country, right. but. You know, my my uncle, when we were younger, my uncle, of course, in his backyard had one of those big, huge 10-foot satellite dishes in his backyard. Yeah. So he could rotate that and catch, you know, KTLA, and we would watch every Laker game on That's satellite awesome. dish. <laughs> so, no, it's, it's always been, you know, Magic Johnson, Byron Scott, James Worthy, you know, the Showtime Lakers were, yeah. I mean, purple and gold. I, I just love it. That and – LA is actually closer to El Paso than Houston is. That, that is true. 
I was going to say, like, you could be like a Cardinals fan or a Suns fan. I mean, you, you've got lots of choices kind of where you're at. Oh, yeah. The Cardinals are actually the closest professional right. football team. And they're two states away. That I know. I, it's just crazy when you think about it like that. But, okay, so outside of that, now this one, Coach, this one hurts a little bit. Now, I love you, so I'm not going to hold it against you. But, I mean, obviously down here, I mean, how'd you become a Yankees fan, man? I, I, uh, I didn't I didn't uh, love seeing that. But, I mean, well, I'm just curious. How'd you become a Yankees fan? Uh, my grandfather. Okay. Uh, yeah, my nice. grandfather uh, grew up playing baseball, and Mickey Mantle was his guy. Yeah. My, my grandfather's a Mickey Mantle guy. And, you know, and even, you know, back in those days, there's very few teams that got shown on TV all the time. And sure. the Yankees sure. were one of those teams. And, you know, my grandfather being a huge baseball fan, you know, Mickey Mantle was his guy. So, yeah. you know, growing up, you know, he, he loves all, he loved all sports, but baseball was his, that was his baby. So if the Yankee game was on, we were watching it and you're not changing that dial. Now, so, let me ask you this, obviously in the frenzy of the Astros recent success, like, <laughs> do, uh, do you, do you like the Astros or like when the Astros and Yankees play, are you definitely like, let's go Yankees are you are you, or, oh, I'm a Yankee no I'm a Yankee fan you're a now, Yankees fan so you you now, are that now, guy a, that whenever you're at a party with friends like you're the guy cheering against the Astros if they're playing the Yankees I, I respect I'm not I'm I respect not, I'm not that. anti I respect I'm not that anti Astros like yeah. you know you know they weren't they didn't they weren't playing the Yankees in the World Series so right you know all my neighbors around here are huge yeah. Astros fans so sure. when they yeah. you know when they won the World Series hey we all celebrated together that's awesome you know I, like I, that, I live in yeah. Houston so I do embrace it but when, you know, when they're playing the pinstripes and no, uh, sorry, I, I'm going to have yeah. my Derek Jeter jersey on or my Babe Ruth jersey on. It's going to be one of those two. Love it. Man. Love it, man. That's awesome. <laughs> that, that is awesome. And then your last one here. And again, this is another one where you and I go different directions. I'm a Michigan fan. And so this isn't, this is like, we don't get to play each other every year because we're not in conference, but there definitely is a rivalry. Uh, you're a Notre Dame football fan. So give me the backstory on that one. Uh, same. I got that from my dad. My dad loved you know, growing up, Lou Holtz, Notre Dame in yeah, the 80s, yeah. Rocket Ismail, Tony Rice, and those guys. Yep. Um, you know, it was just uh, one of those that, I guess, you know, early from my dad being a young kid and, you know, very few teams. Locally, you'll see some local teams, but Notre Dame was that that national power that was shown nationwide. Right. And then, you know, we're, you know, we're religious. We're, you know, we're Catholic, all that. So you have this you know, Catholic university that, that yeah. has this, this, you know, growing up this powerhouse of a football team, but it's a Catholic private university. And so it's just a lot of those little things mixed in together. So, I mean, you know, the luck of the Irish, I love it. I love the golden domers. It's, you know, hey, coach, there's, I'm here there's, for it, man. There's a, yeah. yeah I, I love, and there's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of college football teams that I enjoy watching and like, you know, like, you know, when Florida State, Texas, even Nebraska, when Nebraska is a great team, they're just yeah. one of those classic powers that yes. things are just better when a lot of those teams are good. I agree. Now, uh, one thing I've noticed, again, living you – you lived in a place where you didn't really have pro sports at your doorstep. Like, people like mm -hmm. us that grow up in Houston, you know, the home team is thrown in your face. But, like, you know, my company is based out of South Dakota in Brookings, you know, or South Dakota state is who won the FCS football championship this year. But like, mm -hmm. I've met people there. Yeah. A lot of them like teams, the Minnesota Vikings or whatever, or that maybe some will go Denver Broncos. Like some of them will go regional, but a lot of them are just like you there. I, I know like one of my bosses there, he's a Notre Dame fan. He's a Yankees fan. And I, I think that's really kind of common, right? Maybe if, if you're not in a place that's getting the home team all the time, you kind of get these national teams 
when you're a young kid broadcasting, yeah. you fall in love with them. And I, I definitely don't yeah. blame you, man. I think those are some good picks. Well, and if, and if like when, when I first meet people and they ask me who my teams are, and I'm like, oh, well, the Yankees, Notre Dame, and the Lakers. And they're like, oh, you're just a bandwagon guy. Well, who do you like in football, Dallas? I'm like, no, I'm a Bills fan. Yeah. <laughs> so that – so then it makes it look like you really of... are, man. <laughs> but you're actually no, not. Yeah. You do have a backstory, and you've been doing this for 20, 30 years. So that you're not a bandwagon yeah. guy. So, yeah, no, once I throw the Buffalo Bills in there, they're kind of like, okay, no, never mind. <laughs> hey, and I love the Chiefs, and I, but I, I just feel like like the past couple of years, all of a sudden these Chiefs fans have come out of the woodworks all over the place, and I, I don't right. always remember that growing up. But, no, they're, yeah. they're, a, great, no, they're a great franchise too, for sure. I, I, oh, yeah, absolutely. No, and I have some friends that growing up have been Chiefs fans, so – yeah, I definitely remember them in high school wearing their yeah. Chiefs jacket when the Chiefs were terrible. Yeah. But they've been We Chiefs all love Christian Okoye, and... though, man. That was a bad <laughs> man. Oh, yeah. What year did you graduate oh, yeah. high school, Coach? Or what? 2001. So, okay, I'm so I'm 02, so you and I are basically the same generation. So, yeah, man, I, right. I can definitely relate yeah. to a lot of what you're saying, man. But, all right, so la- I'm going to put you on the hot seat here. So, we're about to get out of all here. Right. But the last thing we always do, we put you on the hot seat. I'm going to ask you for your Buffalo Bills Mount Rushmore. So, of course, Mount Rushmore, Mount Rushmore before presidents. It's going to be your personal top four all-time Buffalo Bills. I, I think I know one of them because you kind of gave me a hint. <laughs> I think I know where you're going to go for one of them. But who are your top four all-time Buffalo Bills? Oh, man, my top four, of course. I mean, I got to go with my era. Um, yeah. Number one, Jim Kelly. Yes. You know, shotgun, shotgun Kelly was the man. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. Even though he didn't, even though he originally didn't want to be in Buffalo, he grew to love it. So forgot about that real quick when he started throwing them touchdown passes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but no, um, got to go with our quarterback, Jim Kelly. Uh, Thurman. Fun Thomas. fact about Jim Kelly, he was a Houston gambler as well. So he did play right. for our USFL teams. That's pretty cool, too. That, that I have a USFL right. Jim Kelly jersey, gambler's jersey. But, oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, I had to go Thurman Thomas. Absolutely. Um, Fort Ben Willeridge product. So, native. right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Native Houstonian. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, the man you're wearing, Bruce Smith, that yeah. guy was just unbelievable yep. off the edge. And, oh, yeah. 78 was the dude. Yep. And then, of course, my number four is, you know, the reason I became a Bills fan, Andre Reed. Absolutely. Underrated. Big time underrated. Kind of reminds me of like an art monk at Washington. You know, this, mm-hmm. to me, like he's in that elite level. But like he's not remembered that way. He's not thought of like Jerry Rice, you know. Which I know Jerry's very high up there. But you know what I mean. Like I just feel like yeah. people kind of forgot about Andre Reed. Maybe it's playing in a small market or whatever. But he was a he was a problem for sure. Oh yeah, no, that was that was my guy. That was my dude. Uh, I tell. I mean, I got signed pictures and stuff here around my house. I mean, I love it. You know, the cool thing the first... about the Bills, though, Coach, from that era. To me, that is the definitive. Those were the four guys. Like, I cannot even think of a single – there was other good players, of course. I remember Bryce Pop was a good player. And, then, you know, there were others. But no, but those four were the untouchable to me. Like, they were the faces of the franchise in that period in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, those, those four would definitely be my Mount Rush four of Buffalo Bills. Love it, Coach. If y'all have enjoyed this episode as much as I have, again, just take the five seconds, hit the five-star rating wherever you're listening to this. That'll drive us up the charts, put us in the algorithm so more people will find the show. You can hit the follow button. That's what I like to do for my podcast that I follow, and then you'll get a new episode every Sunday. You can follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kobo. That's Coach underscore K-O-B-O. You can hit us up at teamplayerpodcast at gmail.com. If any recommendations or feedback, tell us how we're doing. 
and then we, we a lot of our a lot of our guests are by recommendation. So we're, we're building this community here. So let us know who else we should bring on the show. As always, the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast are provided by two of my former players. The cover art is by Kaiser St. Cyr. And our intro and ex- exit music is one more good enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. All right, Coach Matt Torres, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, Coach, I appreciate you inviting me. It was a blast. Yes, sir. Thank you so much to all the team players out there for your support, and we'll catch you all down the road. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy, one more line, record the track just one more time, my family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough, I'm just fine, I'm good enough. Truth be told, I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily But now I got a legacy 